You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. Good morning. How's everybody doing? And it's good to see you guys. It is the 4th of July weekend, so we celebrate freedom um, in this country. But more importantly than that, we celebrate freedom in Jesus. Amen. So we are free to worship in this place because we live in a free country. There are uh, churches meeting right now that are meeting in secret. And if they get caught, then they will be put to death because they don't have that freedom that we have. So and don't ever take that for granted. Um, freedom is, is not free. So um, let's just be mindful of that. We're going to continue in our series through the book of Psalms. How many of you are like sunrise, sunset people. You like to see that kind of stuff. Let's be honest. Okay, cool. Me neither. Um, so, for one, like I'm usually, I don't want to be up and looking at stuff that early in the morning. And if, if it's that late, like I kind of want to be inside of my bed. So, that's just kind of where I am. But I was driving into work this week. And now, I don't know if this was the moon or the sun. Like, that's how oblivious I am to this. But there was like this huge orange like ball looking thing in the sky and I was like that's awesome I don't know if that's the moon I don't know if that's the sun but that is amazing like God's creation is just spectacular and maybe you you notice that just every single day of your life you just that's just your mindset you go there some of you maybe you're hunters and in the woods you just kind of you see the beauty of God maybe out uh, on a boat somewhere and you just you kind of just realize everything around you is a masterpiece made by the creator of the universe. Maybe at the beach, right? You, you see the, the tides coming in and sometimes they come really far. Sometimes they're out. And like my kids, when we were at the beach, they could walk so far I could barely see them. And like they still, they, they kept walking. And I'm like, man, I don't know what's going to happen. They're either going to keep going, I'm never going to see them again, or they're going to come back to me, but I'm not going out there chasing them because I'm not a huge fan of the ocean. So you just need to know that about me if you ever invite me to the beach. I will go with you, but I'm probably not getting out in the water too much because there's a lot of stuff in there, like jellyfish and sharks and sharks. and like There's just stuff in the ocean, and I'm just not a fan of any of that. And we'll be in, we'll be in this psalm today, and what we're going to see in Psalm 19 is that at the beginning of this psalm, David... He talks about God in creation. He talks about how majestic it is. Verses 1 through 6, just, they, they, they just revel in the fact that God is just all in this thing that we see all around us called creation. And then in, in verse 7, he, he kind of switches gears and he says that God is revealed not just in creation, but in His Word. And we're going to start in verse 7 today, but I think it's important for us to at least understand the context that David, he's praising the God who reveals himself in creation. And then he moves to praising the same God for revealing himself in his word. It's almost as if David is saying creation tells us much about God, but his word tells us much, much more. Like the, the creation is, is amazing and it's spectacular. And God does reveal Himself in that way. 
But if you really want to dig deep into who God is, it is revealed in His Word. God reveals Himself in His Word. Spurgeon says this about Psalm 19. He is wisest who reads both the world book and the word book as two volumes of the same work and feels concerning them, my Father wrote both. God is the author of creation and God is the author of His Word. We're going to see that David refers to the, the Word of God with many different expressions. He uses law, he uses testimony, he uses precepts, commandment, fear, rules. So we're going to see all of that in this psalm. And all that means is that David is trying to capture just the magnitude of the Word of God. That it is all these things wrapped up in one. So let's together read verses 7 through 13, Psalm 19. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Verse 10, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is a great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden fault. Verse 13, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let's pray. God, we pray that you speak this morning through your spirit. And we pray that you reveal to us what you would have us to know in this place. We give you the honor and the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a few quick points about this. Number one is this. We're jumping straight in. Is the word of God restores my soul. The word of God restores my soul. We see... In verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. First of all, it says that the, the, the Word of God is perfect. In 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. The truth is this, that this book has everything we need for life and for godliness. While it doesn't give us all knowledge, all of the knowledge it does give us is perfect and true. And it says it revives the soul. The, the word revive here means to, to restore, to bring new life to. Now I want you to understand really quickly what the soul is. Your soul is, is your mind, your emotion, your will. And some of you, you walked into this place just mentally exhausted. You walked into this place mentally checked out. You walked into this place with emotions that were just off the charts. Maybe your will to continue on is just diminishing each and every day. And what David is saying here is that the Word of God restores that. It brings new life to that. It brings new life to your emotions. It brings new life to your mind. It brings new life to your will to continue Moving forward. The Bible, the Word of God, who God is, restores that, that deep part of us that controls the, the, the thoughts, 
that controls the, the will to do things, that, that controls the way that we feel. Maybe some of you walked in here and your life is just going crazy and you don't even know what your next step is. I have some good news for you that you're not the only one in here like that. There is other people. So don't think it's just you. I have some better news for you that we serve a God who can revive and restore and bring new life to all of those things in your life. God is the restorer and His Word, if we dig in and if we allow it to move, it will restore our soul. Number two is this, it refines or helps my choices. It says, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The word simple here means one who doesn't make wise decisions. If we're honest, man, we're all just one decision away from stupid. Right? Like, that's we're all there. And honestly, we've all made stupid decisions. How many of you have made stupid decisions? Every hand, yes. This might be the first time, write this down, this might be the first time we got 100% engagement in a question at Impact Church. Man, we've all made stupid decisions. And we see that David is saying that the Word of God, it refines or it helps my choices. The simple one who, who doesn't make wise decisions, the Word of God helps us in that. See, the Bible is both a map and a mirror. I don't know if you knew that. But the Bible is a map and a mirror. Now, a map, for those of you that were born after 1990, a map is like this big this big thing on paper, and it's got like roads, and it's got like even topography sometimes. Like there's a lot of cool stuff on a map. We don't really use those too much. They're all digital now, so you can kind of pull that up and see everything you want online. But what a map does is it, it helps you kind of get to where you want to go. If you're at one point on a map and you want to get to another point on a map, there's a lot of different ways that you can get there, and the map will show you. And the Bible acts as a map for our life. It helps us make wise and godly decisions. If you ever wanted to know what next step you need to take, we will help you walk through that, but it will always line up with the Word of God. It is the map for your life. Not only is it a map, but it's also a mirror. And it shows us that compared to the holiness and righteousness of God that we can't, we can't compare. That we, we can't measure up. That we do fall short. This helps our choices. Number three is this. It rejoices my heart. It says the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And we talk about this. But the things of this world cannot fully and finally satisfy you. Yet we chase after the things of this world. Some of you, you come in the church on Sundays, and, and I don't know if you knew this or not, but the... The Bible says that as Christians, we should be the most joyful people on the planet. And I know that you can't see this all the time, but from standing up here, you guys don't always look like the most joyful people on the planet. I'm just going to be honest with you about that. But maybe you walk in here, some people walk in here and they're strutting, man. Everything's going good. They're raising their hands during worship. 
everything's good. But not everybody walks in here strutting. Some of you walk in here struggling every Sunday. Some of you walk in here with with just the, the weight of your world crashing down on you. And you see these people raising their hands during worship. You see these people that they're engaged in the message. You see these people that just, they, they seem like they're full of joy. And you're thinking, man, I want that. Why don't I have that? And what David is saying here is that the Word of God and who He is rejoices the heart. Do you have that joy in your life this morning? Are you allowing the struggle to just bring you down? Now we have to admit that this, like struggle is real. We have to admit that pain is real. We have to admit that these situations that we go through, they are real. So I don't ever want you to think that we, we just diminish those situations. Those are real things that we have to experience. And what David is saying is that even in that, the Word of God brings the joy that we need in our life. There's nothing else that can fully and finally satisfy. Only Jesus and only the Word of God. Number four, it reinforces the truth. It says the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So this tells us that there's truth, there's untruth. Those are our two choices. We have the truth of, of Scripture, the truth of the Word of God, and we have the, the untruth of the enemy. And that's, that's all we have. There's really no in-between. It's, just, it's either true or it's not. And actually, in, in John chapter 8, we see that the truth will do what? It will set you free. The corresponding truth to that is, if you need to be set free, that means that untruth enslaves you. If we see that the truth will set you free, then the adverse to that is that the untruth will keep you enslaved and keep you locked up and keep you held down. Are you believing truth or are you believing untruth? Now I think the enemy, he really attacks you two ways. There's, identi- there's activity lies and there's identity lies. I'm just going to give you a quick example of an activity lie. An activity lies this, that you've been married for some time and your marriage used to be really good and now it's not so good. There's not a whole lot of, of communication. There's not a whole lot of intimacy. There's not a whole lot of, of praise, encouragement. And it just seems like you're just going through life as, as roommates or whatever it may be. And you're really, we're, I'm talking to the men, you're really feeling like, you just need some encouragement. You need to feel like you're the man. You need to feel like you're doing things right. And somehow, it always seems to work out that when you go to work, there's always some lady there that thinks that that presentation you just gave is off the charts. And they think you're amazing. The decisions you make are really good. They encourage you all the time. And then the enemy begins to whisper and to lie to you. And the enemy begins to say, hey, that's what you deserve. You deserve And you begin to believe that, man, I'm not happy here, but I think I can be happy here. And you begin to believe the lies. I'm going to be honest with you, man, in this room. The reason 
that, that girl at work thinks you're awesome, likes your presentation, encourages you. This is why. They just don't know you, bro. Like, they just don't know you. They just don't. Like, your wife knows you. And if they knew you like your wife knew you, they wouldn't be all happy and encouraging to you either. That's just the truth. The enemy begins to just spew these lies to you, and then our, our activity begins to follow the untruth. And then there's identity lies to tell you that you're not good enough, to tell you that, that you're not worthy, to tell you that you're not valuable, to tell you that there, there's no use for you, that you're not fit for you. That because of your past, or maybe even because of your present struggle, that God can't love you, that He can't use you, and that you can never be effective in the kingdom of God. And we begin to believe these lies. We begin to believe the, the whispers of the enemy. And we know from Scripture that the native language of the enemy is lies. He is a liar. And he wants you to believe those lies. What the Word of God does is the Word of God reinforces the truth in our life so that when the enemy whispers lies, we can replace those lies with the truth of the Word of God. When the, when the enemy tells you that you're, not, that you're not worthy, you're not valuable, then we can replace that lie with the truth of the Word of God which says, hey, I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are Wonderful, I know it full well. That is the truth of the Word of God. That you are valuable, that you are worthy. When the enemy says that there's, there's, no, there's no purpose in your life, then we can replace that lie with the truth of the Word of God and we know that our purpose is to glorify Him. What we have to do is we have to allow the Word of God to reinforce the truth in our life so that we stop following and falling for the lies of the enemy and we begin to stand on the truth of the Word of God. It reinforces the truth. We've seen the map part of Scripture just to lead us the way that God wants us to go, but David switches to the mirror part here when we see ourselves in the light of who God is. We recognize our sinfulness. Our unknown and our known sinfulness. Verse 12 says this, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. This is what David does. David says, Your word is all of this. You reveal yourself in creation. You reveal yourself in your word. And in light of your revelation, in light of who you are, I am a wretched, black-hearted sinner. And I know that without you, I am nothing. This is what David transitions to here. He's talking about this errors and secret sin and then sin that you really love. And there's a progression here. David Guzik says it this way, the description of errors and secret faults and presumptuous sins reminds us that sin has a progression. 
It goes from passing temptation to chosen thought. It goes from chosen thought to object of meditation. It goes from object of meditation to wished for fulfillment. It goes from wished for fulfillment to planned action. It goes from planned action to opportunity sought. It goes from opportunity sought to performed act. It goes from performed act to repeated action. It goes from repeated action to delight. It goes from delight to new and various ways. It goes from new and various ways to habit. It goes from habit to idolatry, demanding to be served. It goes from idolatry to sacrifice. It goes from sacrifice to slavery. It starts with just a a thought, and it ends with slavery. Just a, a passing temptation. And then the progression of sin leads to being enslaved by the lies and the tricks of the enemy. And all along this continuum, the Holy Spirit and hopefully our conscience is saying, hey, stop. Don't keep going. Stop. And all along this continuum, we are given a way of escape. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that we, we are given a way of escape from the temptation if we would just take it. And because of this great danger, because of of David understanding his humanity compared to the, the majesty and the holiness of God, he prays to keep your servant back from presumptuous sin. Spurgeon says, well you just note that this prayer was the prayer of a saint the prayer of a holy man of God. Did David need to pray this? Did the man after God's own heart need to cry, keep back thy servant? And Spurgeon answered this way, yes. Yes, he did. This should be the prayer of every believer. Is that because the Word of God is not just a map, but a mirror? We see our fallenness and our brokenness in light of who God is and our prayer should be Keep me back from this presumptuous sin. Reveal to me the things that I don't even know. Reveal to me the secret thoughts. Reveal to me the the unknown errors. Reveal to me the desires that I have that maybe I don't even know I have. Keep me from the enslaving sin that is so abounding in our life. Is that your prayer this morning? And then verse 14, my favorite verse in all of Scripture. Because this should be our prayer as Christ followers. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David ends this song with a humble surrender before an almighty God. Dave, Dave, this isn't a proud proclamation. This is a humble plea from a, from a Christ follower, from a man of God, from a man after God's own heart, understanding that, man, I need to humble myself before God or the enemy will take me out. Are you living your life in a manner in a posture of humility. 
James promises us that God pours out His grace on the humble. It's a promise from the Word of God. And maybe you walked into this place and you didn't really think you needed a whole lot of grace, but maybe after sitting here for 45 minutes, you're thinking, man, I need a lot of grace. And I'll tell you this, if you need grace, then I would say humble yourself before an almighty God and watch as He pours grace out on you. Humble yourself. Understand that without Him, you don't, you don't got this thing called life, and neither do I. That we need Him. Morgan said, if our rock were not our Redeemer, we should be without hope. If our Redeemer were not our rock, still might we be afraid. It is good that we never forget the mutual interpretation of these two revelations of God. That He is, all, he is our rock and our Redeemer. That the, the word Redeemer here is the kinsman Redeemer that we talked about in Ruth. To be bought out of slavery. That is what Jesus did for you and for me. He came on a rescue mission to buy us out of slavery. Slavery to sin. He's our rock because without Him, man, we have no foundation. He is the foundation. We're going we're gonna to jump back up as we close this morning to verse 10. It says, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them as your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Number five is this. The Word of God rewards greatly. It rewards greatly. Because guess what? This is the Word of God. Once we begin to understand all the things that the Word of God can do, that it's a map, that it's a mirror, that it is the truth of who He is, then our life begins to change and the great reward isn't some materialistic reward it's the reward of knowing him and being more like him that is the great reward so how do we do this how do we make this practical because it sounds great yeah the like the word of god does all this stuff but like how do i how do I get there? How can I practically experience that? Well, it's really simple. I'm just going to give you two things. First of all, you just have to desire it. You just have to desire it. Do you desire to read the Word of God? And if your answer is no, then I would say this. Desire to desire it. At least get to that point where when you're praying, you say, hey, God, make me want to want to read your word. Because right now, I just don't really have that desire. I don't have that want. So maybe you start with, give me the desire to actually desire the word of God. Now here's the cool thing. Back in the day, I say that like I'm really old. I'm not really that old. But back in the day, you actually had to open this thing up and like read it legit, like a book. You had to read a book. And now over time, in, the, in God's grace, 
he's created audio books. And so I don't really read books anymore. I listen to books. And guess what? You can listen to this too. And maybe, so maybe you're not a reader. Maybe that's just not your thing. But there's apps out there where you can actually get someone to read the Bible to you. And you can pick whatever voice you want. If you want like a, a woman from the UK, you can get that. If you want a man from Australia, you can get that. If you want uh, someone from America, you can get that too. You can get whatever you want. The point is, do you have the desire to dig into the Word of God? And that is the second thing to do. We desire it and then we dig in. Look, man, this is, this is an action step for us. I think all too often we, we come to church and we, we have some amazing worship where we lift up the name of Jesus. We have a message. And maybe we, we feel a little motivated or we feel a little inspired. We're more encouraged, whatever it may be. But then there's no action to take when we leave. And my goal every single week is to challenge you guys to, to take an action, to take a step. And the, the step, the action for this week is to just dig in. Now what, what can happen is we get so into this thing that we're like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock this out this afternoon. I'm reading the whole thing. And we start from Genesis and we, we try to get all the way to the end. Here's the problem with that. I'm not saying you can get too much of this. I'm not telling you that, but here's the problem. You get pretty much to the end of Genesis and you're doing okay. You spend a lot of time on Joseph and you're like, that was a lot. Probably could have skipped some of that. And then you go to Exodus, which is cool. You didn't know that kind of stuff happened. And then you get to Leviticus and most of us just die right there. Like, that's it for us. But if you do make it through Leviticus, Deuteronomy is just staring you in the face. So I wouldn't recommend that you just try to go from start to finish. I would recommend that you just start somewhere and there's no better place to me than, than to start with the Psalms and just to, to see what people thought about who God was. And our posture can begin to change. But dig in and start somewhere. Psalm 19 says that it, it, it's better than gold. It's better than gold. Fine gold. I don't even know the difference. Because like I just I didn't even know there were different types of gold. But it's better than gold. It's better than fine gold. Have you ever seen those people at the beach, like with the little metal detector thing? It's kind of kind of dorky, man. I'm just gonna be honest with you. Like to me, it's just kind of dorky. And they're, you know, whatever, got their fanny packs on, some, some glasses, their socks pulled all the way up to their knees. It's just a little dorky. That's all I'm saying. I'm not judging them. I'm just saying that's just, to me, it is. It's like, beep, beep, beep. But you know what's not dorky? It's not dorky when they find treasure. That's cool. Like, that's awesome. And what they're doing is they're searching for things underneath the surface. 
They're searching for things you can't see on the, on the sand. You, you have to search underneath the surface. And for some of you, you've been, you've been kind of surface level Christians for a long time, and it's time to dig underneath the surface. And even more than the treasure that they find at the beach, this is greater than any of that. If you really want to get under the surface in your walk with Jesus, man, you have to desire His Word and dig into it. And we want to be a church full of people that are digging deep into who God is. We don't want to be just a, a church that on the surface looks like they love Jesus, but they're, they're taking no steps we want to be a, a church of imperfect people engaging with a God who is perfect and holy and righteous and taking steps of faith together, digging in so that we can make a kingdom impact in this community and beyond. Are you willing to dig in? Are you willing to go beyond the surface? Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.